This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. And welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Uh, Sean Callahan here as we put a wrap on bowl season. The Big Ten uh, finishes out the bowl year 5-5. Five and five And, you know, n- not the necessarily the best bowl year, but they were able to, to salvage some quality wins. Um, Wisconsin and Nebraska, obviously. And then I, I was very impressed uh, with what Ohio State did to Notre Dame. Um, but it's still, you know, Michigan's went over Florida. But it's still hard, guys, to look past uh, what teams like Northwestern and, and, and Iowa did, um, you know, they were completely blown out in, in their respective bowl games. And uh, I think that was something that, you know, a lot of us didn't see. I mean, I, I think a lot of us at least thought those games would be competitive. And, and, and then the Michigan State game, I mean, where do I – I mean, the Michigan State-Alabama game, uh, the big one, um, you know, it kind of tarnishes that 5-5 five and five record, Robin, um, for what was kind of considered a, a banner year for the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, it was a little mixed bag of everything. You mentioned the blowout losses, but, you know, the two teams in the conference that technically weren't even supposed to be playing in bowls won, you know, in, you know, pretty convincing fashion. And so, that you know, it, it was a, a little bit of everything. Wisconsin knocks off USC in, in a strong performance. And so, I, you know, I think it's hard to really kind of – uh, put an overall blanket over the conference's performance just because, I mean, you had your impressive showings and, you know, you know, maybe performances that would change your outlook on a team going into 2016. But at the same time, you had some real steps back, especially by the, the top of the conference. Nate, what were your thoughts on the Big Ten and the bowl season? Well, you know, as a whole, I, you know, I kind of agree with Robin there as far as it's hard to, to make a blanket statement as far as, uh, you know, how you view the conference. I think as a whole, um, you know, the conference is still looked to be pretty strong, um, you know, especially when you have a Minnesota and a Nebraska who weren't supposed to be there, who uh, performed well and got big wins and, um, you know, maybe shows that the conference was stronger, um, you know, from top to bottom than, than what many thought. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we put a wrap on bull season. And, you know, that Nebraska game, um, I, I think for from our perspective, it, it just makes life a heck of a lot easier. I mean, we talked about the win already last week. But um, now when you look ahead to the, the Big Ten West and, and the Big Ten in general, um, it really is a, a wide-open league next year. I, I think Ohio State has to be – the favorite by default in Michigan, you know, with Jim Harbaugh, they're going to be right up there. But uh, let, let's stick on the West, particularly. First of all, the league's going to nine games next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't hide behind a schedule. You're going to probably at least get one legitimate crossover, if not two, in, in, if you're in Nebraska and Iowa or, you know, a team um, like Wisconsin. And, and that's going to happen. I mean, Wisconsin next year plays everybody. They have Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State on their uh, three crossover games. Um, so I, I think it's going to be unique uh, because everybody in the West, other than really Nebraska, loses a lot of guys. I mean, Nebraska loses Malik Collins. Um, but after that, um, you know, you, you like what this team has coming back, Robin, if they, they can at least 
plug in some guys, especially with maybe the schedule they have on the crossovers. Yeah, you know, they return a lot in a huge senior class and a very productive senior class coming back next year. And uh, as we talked about uh, at length, I mean, just the, getting that bowl win and the manner in which they did it really sets a positive tone going into the spring. And so I, I think you'll start to see guys, you know, buy in fully, which was, it was an issue this past year. I mean, I think guys were kind of hesitant on what this new staff was all about and, uh, and maybe didn't put you know the full commitment uh at, at some you know levels that uh, you know maybe they should have and i think that was a, a cause for a lot of the results that we saw over the course of the year and so i mean the fact that you have you know a much higher morale uh this time around and you know that, that there is some positivity and some you know tangible reasons to um you know really you know believe in what this staff is doing i think is going to be huge and um you know their non-conference slate three straight home games next year with you know capping it off with that home game against oregon i think uh, that'll be a nice way for them to actually kind of ease in to this season so to speak as opposed to playing a BYU right out of the gates and um, you know then you look at that that Big Ten schedule ahead it's certainly not going to be easy I mean you start off league play at Northwestern and then you go at Wisconsin that's manageable though honestly I mean Northwestern's not going to be that good next year but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a home game for Nebraska, essentially, yeah. in Evanston, as we've seen the last two. It won't be easy, but Northwestern's going going to drop off considerably from what you hear from uh, experts out there, especially if their quarterback play is not going to improve. Right, right. So uh, assume that you know they're able to fare well in that, but then you go, again, a few weeks later, you get Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, which... That's a very good... I mean, in the Big Ten world, that's about as nice yeah. of a stretch as you're going to get. Theoretically, that's a pretty comfortable start to conference play, but then is when it gets a little hairy because you're at Wisconsin and at Ohio State back-to-back weeks followed by home against Minnesota you get a a home game against Maryland right before your final road game at Iowa and so the back end of that conference schedule is really going to determine what this season next year is going to be about for Nebraska. And you get Wisconsin though after they play that gauntlet of Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State the timing of that game um, will be pretty favorable for Nebraska um, having the Badgers in Madison after probably you know four losses maybe I mean yeah. that, that's kind of what you're looking at uh, where they're going to lose to LSU maybe and Michigan Michigan State Ohio State and I believe Iowa all those games are before Nebraska um, so the timing of that I think that game in Columbus as we know will not will not be easy but mm-hmm. Minnesota new head coach Maryland new head coach Iowa final game of the year uh, I think they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year so uh, honestly I mean I think it's a lot more manageable schedule than what the Huskers had this past year. And you've got a bye week, you know, early, in in, yeah. right in the middle of the season, which is uh, something that Nebraska, I think, will like. Um, and it'll probably, I mean, it's not inconceivable to think that it'll come down to that final game in Iowa City against the Hawkeyes, you know, for the Big Ten West. Uh, what I really like about Nebraska heading into 2016 is the fact that they seem to have found an identity coming out of the bowl game. That's something they struggled. will they stick with it though. Well, that's I, the key. I think that um, I think you have to with with the results that they're able to to produce against uh, UCLA. I think that's something that they have to stick to, uh, and something that they struggled with all season long is what what is their identity? Take the pressure off Tommy, exactly. basically. Yeah, take the game out of his hands and let him. I mean, let him be uh, a play a player that can make plays, not a player that has to make plays. I, I think that's key. And we talked about this on Big Red Wrap Up as we move into the offseason. For me, the biggest questions on offense are with the line mm-hmm. um, and in running back. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty confident in Ozigbo being um, an improved player. You know, we just don't know what Terrell Newby is going to do. But the offensive line, I think they have the guards in place to be successful. 
but they need to figure out the tackle position. We know Nick Gates is solid, but is David Neville going to be the guy? I mean, I, Christian Gaylord, to me, is a big if, Nate. Um, you know more about him than us probably, um, that he could come in and start next year. And, you know, Sam Hahn would be the wild card name. But mm-hmm. they, they don't have tackles right now. No, they now. don't. They don't have a tackle. And um, it'll be interesting to see if they flip Nick Gates around, put him at left tackle, and, and try to develop, um, you know, maybe put Neville in as a, as a right tackle there. I think or, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Corey Whitaker played a little tackle, too. I guess that's another name that if they wanted to kick a body outside, mm-hmm. he'd be a guy that could play outside. But yeah, he I, could I mean, potentially do it. Uh, I think it's a lot to ask, though, of, of a redshirt freshman like Christian Gaylord to, to come in and, and basically be another Nick Gates and be a guy that could step in and, and be as uh, productive or play at such a high level as Nick Gates did. That, that might be asking a lot. So that's, you know, the offensive tackle position is definitely, you know, the biggest question, I think, on the line. And defensively, the guys they're losing, Jonathan Rose, replaceable. Daniel Davey, replaceable. Byerson Cockrell, solid player, but I think replaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik Collins would be, to me, the only – real name that you lose on that defense that that's that's not replaceable but they have a lot coming back and some young guys coming up as of right now i mean we still are kind of waiting to see the vincent valentine situation and the kevin williams situation so theoretically worst case scenario you're looking at losing your top three options at defensive tackle which isn't the end of the world because they have good young guys that saw a lot of playing time over the course of the year and a Kevin Maurice and a Mick Stoltenberg and, uh, you know, uh, the Davis twins that you would come in and, uh, you know, got a lot of hype with their play on scout teams. So I don't think that that's necessarily the end, the end of the world because of the depth they have there. But uh, you look at the back two levels of that defense, you know, those were at least at linebacker was one of the biggest concerns going into the year. It's a strength now. And it's a strength because a whole bunch of guys played and they played, you know, reasonably well and so i think you're feeling a whole lot better about that position than like you mentioned the secondary i mean outside of daniel davy and byerson cockrell i mean really that your your core group is all coming back and you have your two established starting cornerbacks antonio reed now antonio reed is going to be that x-factor guy nathan Nate, gary Nate gary's going to be your senior captain and then you got you know uh Kalu and chris jones on the outside so uh you got there's a lot to aaron feel. williams yeah aaron williams who was maybe as impressive of a freshman of all of them on that defense so there's a lot to feel good about on that defense, assuming they're able to find those pass rushers off the edge, you know, freedom has a whole full year at defensive end under his belt. And, uh, you know, I think that there's, you know, some other guys that, you know, that were on scout team this year, the, the Davis kid, um, trying to remember Alex Davis. Alex Davis. I know a lot of people like his makeup. He's a, uh, just an athletic kind of freak type guy that I think could, uh, you know, really factor in there just as, you know, in those pass rushing situation so a lot of pieces to work with and so a lot of reason for optimism all right well we'll talk more about the show but we're going to bring in a phone guest in our next segment uh, i caught up with the big 10 network.com's tom deanhart uh he gives some more thoughts about the big 10 bowl season and also his thoughts on nebraska and maybe where they're at in the west as we start to look ahead to 2016 you're listening here to the husker online show you're listening to huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, as we put a wrap on Big Ten Bowl season, and uh, it, it was kind of one of those up-and-down years uh, when, when you look at the Big Ten performance in bowl games. And I, I think a lot of the wins were overshadowed by particularly the performances of teams like Michigan State, like Iowa, and Northwestern. And uh, pleased to bring in now to the show the Big Ten Network's Tom Deanhart, also a former colleague of ours here at Rivals.com, to get his take here on the bowl games. Tom, thanks for taking some time here uh, with us today. 
You got it, Sean. Always good talking to you, buddy. Yeah, well, when you look at, at this bowl season for the Big Ten, it, there, there were a lot of high points. I think Nebraska's win was a big point. Obviously, Wisconsin over USC, the, the, the win over Notre Dame. Uh, but the low points, I think, were just really hard to look past uh, when you broke down kind of uh, the way the league performed. Yeah, you know, the, uh, you talked all at the top there about the Northwestern Tennessee game. And then, of course, um, you know, the, the, some, some of the other debacles, the Michigan State and Alabama Cotton Bowl as well was, was a big disappointment. And then, of course, the Rose Bowl, too, Stanford against Iowa. I mean, big belly flops on big stages. Um, sort of in some ways sullied uh, the other performances we saw. You talked about Michigan 41-7 over, over Florida was nice. Um, a nice victory too, but uh, and then again, you now that the two LA schools got beat by Big Ten schools, USC and UCLA. Sean, I really thought, you know, Michigan's win was impressive, but I tell you, what, I still think Wisconsin beating USC in the Holiday Bowl may have been the most impressive, you know, postseason win for the Big Ten. Well, when you consider the fact before that win, Wisconsin's best victories were Minnesota and Nebraska, two five-one teams. So you look at the body of work the Badgers had going into San Diego; they really didn't have a marquee win this year. You know, I don't, I don't think they'd beaten a ranked team all year. Um, their losses were quality losses. You know, they opened with a loss to Alabama, of course, in the opener down in Arlington, Texas. And then the Iowa Iowa loss, 10, you know, 12-win team, then the Northwestern, a 10-win team. So, again, their losses were quality, but their wins, not so quality. To go out west to beat a USC squad, I think they had more talent. was very impressive. Of course, the side note having that game being the Badgers lose defensive coordinator Dave Arena at LSU. Yeah, what do you make of that? I mean, the the, the money, is it 1-2 or 1-3 getting at LSU? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost... We had 1.3 million annually with raises for a three-year deal. He was making, I think, half a million dollars a year at Wisconsin. You know, Barry Alvarez, Barry Alvarez talked to the media you know, recently, and he was, he was talking about the, the Big Ten's burden of having to fund more sports than SEC schools have to fund being a big reason why they can't match those type of salaries to assistant coaches. i tell you what, Sean, you know, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio State, look at the salaries they pay their assistant coaches, and they, they have a lot of, school, of sports in their schools. So uh, just a little disappointing the Big Ten. Wisconsin cannot uh, – come close to matching what Iran's going to get at LSU. And, you know, I do think it's a lot of money. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, it wins enough enough for coordinator pay. And you, I, I know. Uh, you have to think, though, Wisconsin probably came back at him with a – I mean, do you think they came back with him with a fair offer, 800000 700000 I mean, something in that number? I mean, there's just no way a Big Ten team is going to pay one two one three in my opinion. No, yeah, no, nobody said for sure. I'm sure there was had to be some type of counteroffer. How big that was. I haven't read anything or heard anything from anybody else what that counter was. If indeed there was a counter, I'm sure there was. But you're right. When is enough enough? I mean, um, you look at where these salaries have gone the last five or ten years. It's incredible, isn't it? Well, to put it in perspective, dollar coaches. Bo, Pelini, <laughs> Bo Pelini made 1.4 as the head coach at Nebraska when he was hired in 2008. So <laughs> it's, it's come. I'll tell you what, though. Every year, we, not every year, but every time we see these new TV deals get announced, the numbers are astronomical, right? It's unbelievable. These schools are getting, these, these schools are getting made are getting mailed some pretty heavy checks with a lot of zeros behind them. And um, football is a pretty important sport. And Dave Aranda arguably was the best coordinator in the Big Ten, offense or defense. And uh, I'll just say this, too, Sean, in life, 
You usually get what you pay for. I'm not saying you always do, but you usually get what you pay for in life. No doubt. He was very impressive. As we're, we're talking Big Ten here with the BTN's Tom Deanhart as uh, the Big Ten's now down in the bowl season. I wanted to get your thoughts on Nebraska and, and just what you thought of the win over UCLA. Because I think a lot of people, you know, nationally you hear people uh, complaining and they were upset about the Huskers getting into a bowl at 5-7. and seven, And I don't think anyone gave them a shot to beat UCLA in, in Santa Clara. And not only did they win, I mean, they looked very good uh, the way they did it. Yeah, I know they were they were 5-7. and seven. That was probably a 7-5 and five or an 8-4 team. I don't need to rehash the close losses Nebraska suffered. Yeah, our fans have heard were. that enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, you know, they, 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 like you said, they acquitted themselves well going out to the West Coast. I think they fell behind 21-7, to seven, I want to say. And you went, you went oh, Ma, you know, here, here we go again. But Nebraska, you know, rebounded, played very well against a very talented uh, UCLA team. So it was just what the doctor ordered. I think the Huskers went 3-1 and one in the last four games. So they got some momentum going in the offseason. 2016 will be a big one. But, again, it's always nice having that taste of victory getting in the long offseason. Yeah, when you look ahead now to 2016, and, and particularly with the Big Ten West division, it, it's it's a weird dynamic. The way Iowa got beat in their bowl game, Northwestern, the way they got beat, Wisconsin loses a ton. They lose their coordinator. Nebraska returns just about everybody. I mean, when, when you think about mm-hmm. the West next year, uh, I, th- I think Nebraska has to be considered right there in the conversation, even though obviously they they weren't in the conversation this past year. Yeah, and there's no doubt they're going to be right there. I think Iowa will be the pick. You know, people are going to just reflexively go with Iowa to probably uh, to win the West in 2016. Their debit credits are pretty positive too. Almost all of their key players are back, um, including of course the quarterback C.J. Beathard. You know, Tommy Armstrong, speaking of quarterbacks, you know, for him to have the kind of game he had in the bowl was huge, I think. We all know what his struggles have been in Lincoln, and to have a nice experience there was what's good for him going into the offseason. So Nebraska will be, I think, probably the pick by most people to be second. Wouldn't be shocked if they win it. Of course, schedules changed this year, Sean. We talked about that. They're not going to be nine conference games. So that's a new dynamic that's going to make everybody's schedule that much more difficult this coming season. And it's 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 really hard to grasp, Tom, when, when you talk about going to nine games. I mean, you see what it's done to the Pac-12, and you think about some of those Pac-12 teams like USC, UCLA, not, they not only play nine conference games, they not, they'll, they'll play sometimes two Power Five non-conference games with their nine conference games. And, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of Big Ten teams obviously – uh, play at least one power five and some might even play two. And uh, I, I think yeah. it's going to affect the records of this league going forward big time. Well, just think of Stanford last year played Notre Dame and Northwestern non-conference, right? Well, those are two of their, their three non-conference games. So that's just one example. You're right. Um, they've had most of those teams schedule pretty well. Some of them schedule real well outside of conference. So yeah, it's a, uh, you know, Jim Delaney wanted teams to have good strength to schedule, all pointing toward the postseason, knowing that was going to be a big criteria for the, the playoff committee when selecting teams, looking at your schedule. And of course, um, good non-conference games are, are, will make it good, but you know, a, an additional conference game is going to ensure that that's that even stronger as well. So it's, it's going to be fun to see how this plays out next year. And as we wrap up uh, with Tom Deanhart here, when you look at the East Division, Ohio State, nine underclassmen have declared – I mean, what does this East division look like? Christian Hackenberg's gone. Connor Cook's gone. 
Um, I mean, Michigan loses some key guys. I mean, on paper today, is Ohio State the team to beat by default, or um, is it more wide open than that right now? Yeah, you always got to go default Ohio State, I think. Um, you know, there's always going to be losses there. When you got a lot of talented players, they're always going to leave early. There's more coming, and we know it. Um, they'll be okay. The, the big thing for them is, of course, JT Barrett's back. Heck of a starting spot as well for them. Um, there was three offensive linemen. Of course, Elliott's gone. You can go on and on. Mike Thomas declared it wide out. Jalen Marshall defensively. You know about Bosa and Darren Lee and some of the D-backs, Eli Apple and Bon Bell. But still, there's, there's talent there. Yeah, Sean, I think you always go default Ohio State. More than anything, you always have Urban Meyer. And like I said, J.T. Barrett, and that's a heck of a place to start. Well, it should be fun. Tom, we, uh, we enjoyed following your work all year. And if you want to follow Tom, he's at btn.com. Tom, I hope you had a great holiday season, and uh, you're probably full swing now in basketball. Go on hoops, my friend. It's always uh, fun talking football. All right. I like talking football with you, buddy. Well, thanks a lot. That was Tom Deanard here of the Big Ten Network joining us on the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan and Robin Washett now as we uh, shift the conversation over to hoops. And it has not been the type of season, the type of start that Tim Miles and his squad would have hoped for. Nebraska 0-3 in Big Ten play. Um, But I think what stings the most about this start, Robin, is the fact they've lost two home games that – you know, I think at, at minimum, probably should have been a split. And, you know, they lo- lose both those games, Northwestern, Indiana. And, you know, I think Northwestern is probably the one that they should have got. Indiana played well. They hit shots. I mean, that they were going to have to play a lot better to win that game against the Hoosiers. But um, And then they go on the road, and Iowa didn't exactly have a, a great night in Iowa City um, as far as shooting goes. Um, it was a night that they probably could have got them in almost a trap type of game, and uh, Nebraska laid an egg. I mean, it was just one of those uh, nights that we've seen a lot of the last couple of years. Yeah, the, that Iowa game was a perfect setup for a trap game. I mean, the Hawkeyes were coming off back-to-back upsets of Michigan State and then the 17-point comeback against Purdue, and then here comes lowly Nebraska to town for a Tuesday night home game. Uh, you know, the student section had about, like, a thousand kids in it and so it was just kind of a weird atmosphere nebraska jumps out to a 10 nothing lead and all of a sudden you're thinking holy cow this thing might happen and then of course a seven and a half minute scoring drought to close the first half iowa goes into halftime up nine never looks back and so it was just uh, you know one of those yet again type performances by nebraska where you know you think that just when you think that they have a chance to win it they their offense completely shuts down and they can't recover and robin i feel like we've talked a lot about seven-minute, eight-minute scoring droughts. Seemingly every game. For like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this has gone on for a long – not I mean, pre-10 miles. Well, I mean, is it – why is it? Why, why does Nebraska, when it matters, why can't they get high-percentage shots and looks and score baskets? Well, that's the thing. They did have high-percentage shots and looks. You know, Jack McVay made the last field goal of the first half with a three-pointer at the 7-33 and 33 mark, and he had about four or five – the exact same shot, wide open, and he just missed them to, to close the half. And so, I mean, they're getting looks. Guys aren't making plays. And I don't know if that's just, you know, youth 
that's you know not ready to to step up to that level or what but uh you know if you don't have if you a coaching staff can only do so much in basketball and when you don't have players going out there and just executing and making basketball plays you're there's really your hands are tied and so you know you maybe you can criticize tim miles's offense all you want but you know when plays are drawn up and they work out successfully as they're supposed to and guys aren't finishing them i mean there's only so much you can do now nebraska at rutgers saturday minnesota comes to lincoln tuesday that's an 8 p.m game so later start time um but um rutgers did nebraska play rutgers last year robin mm-hmm. yep. was, was it in lincoln uh yes Lincoln, yes. so they have some familiarity, but it's kind of one of those. It doesn't. Feel, it's a Big Ten game, but it doesn't yeah, really weird. feel like a Big Ten game. It's a long trip um, out to New Brunswick, New Jersey, and um, you know it's a bad Rutgers team. Yeah, I mean, they're this is, they're winless in the conference as well. So they're you know in the same boat as Nebraska. They struggle to find offense, uh, and so I mean. On paper, if Nebraska is going to win a bowl game, or I'm sorry, a, ro- a road game, uh, this is the one. I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule. I think Nebraska is going to be clear underdogs in every single one after this, maybe outside of Penn State. But Penn State's playing pretty well too. So uh, this is this is your opportunity to go out and get a road victory, which Nebraska hasn't done in a long time. Shoot, they haven't even won a Big Ten game in a long time. They've lost twelve in a row. Which I think is one off the comp, the school record. Yeah, it's the it was by far the worst start in seventy years. Uh, as far as conference record goes, so uh, they they got to get some reason, you know, to, to feel good about themselves. You know, we, we looking at football, you know that that bowl game, you know, then they need something to feel good about. Well, this basketball team needs a win just to get this monkey off its back, get some positivity going, especially with such a young team that is really experiencing the Big Ten for the first time. And, uh, you know, you look at this three-game stretch here, you know, with the Rutgers game and then Minnesota, who's certainly down from where they have been, coming to Pinnacle Bank Arena, and then a road trip to Illinois, who's been decimated by injuries, I mean, since the start of the season. Uh, And so they're, you know, not what they normally are in terms of talent and depth. Uh, These are three games that Nebraska has to, they got to get two. They got to get two, if not all three, if they're going to have any chance. And I don't don't see all three. I mean, mean, right now, there's no reason to believe they will. But if they're going to make any sort of potential run at anything related to postseason, this this has to be the stretch. Because after those three games, you're at Michigan State, home against Michigan, at Purdue, and then home against Maryland. Right now, they those would, are four losses. Right, right now, there. they wouldn't even qualify for the uh, on-campus intramural postseason yeah, I know. tournament. And I mean. so, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if you want to make anything out of the season, these next three games are, are going to be the tipping point. And if they don't capitalize on this, you throw the season away because they're not going to the postseason if they don't win at least two of these next three. And what what did you make? Uh, we're talking basketball here with Robin Washington as Nebraska uh, loses to Iowa. Uh, they're 0-3 in league play with games with Rutgers and Minnesota on the horizon. Two games that Nebraska has a shot to win. But Ty Webster, Robin, um, at Iowa was one of the bright spots. I mean, yeah, I believe 22, 23 points. 22. I heard uh, Tim Miles on his post-game radio show say that Coach Molinari said that Ty watched extra film and, mm-hmm. and did a lot of extra preparation work. I mean, what did you take out of his performance? Was it just one game, or, or could this potentially – lead to more for Ty Webster. Well, he looked like the Ty Webster we saw earlier this season at the Barclays uh, Center Classic when, you know, he won all tournament or was named to the all tournament team. I mean, he he was aggressive with the basketball and that's when he's had his best. You know, he knows that if he can attack 
the basket first and score inside and then out, he's a completely different player. And recently, I mean, he's been settling for too many jump shots and it hasn't worked out for him. And so uh, I think just a, an overall confidence from that extra preparation and, you know, when he's making a commitment to, um, you know, really knowing his opponent, uh, he, he takes on a completely different, uh, you know, persona to him on the court. And so we saw that, you know, he was attacking the basket. And a lot of his points, you know, did come with, you know, Iowa leading by double digits. But still, he was one of the only guys that was actually out there making plays. And so I think that that was, you know, one glimmer of hope that you can have about this team is if they can get Ty Webster to, to play like that. And we've been saying it for three years now, but <laughs> if they could get him to play like that on a even remotely consistent basis, the whole lineup changes. I mean, it takes pressure off Siobhan Shields and it takes pressure off Andrew White and uh, all the young guys, you know, are, have better opportunities for open looks. So it, it changes everything. But uh, again, as has been the case for years now, uh, he's got to be able to do it on a nightly basis because you know we've seen far too many times where he just completely drops off. Well, that puts a wrap here on Basketball Talk. Huskers, two big ones this week. We'll have full coverage on Husker Online when we come back here on the show. We will ship the conversation over to, back to uh, Stockwatch, and we'll tell you what's trending up, what's trending down. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we are on our Stockwatch segment, what's trending up and what's trending down in not only the world of Husker sports, but the world of sports in general. And, you know, we start things off clearly with the biggest trending up topic uh, involving Husker fans, um, the, the new contract extension um, agreed to by Alex Gordon and the Kansas City Royals. Four years, $72 million, averages out $18 million a year, but I believe um, it's backloaded, so he'll get more money in the the, lat- the latter years and a little bit less in these early years. And um, this was a big development. I-, I think a lot of people assumed just from the reports that Alex Gordon was not going to be back in Kansas City. And, you know, for Husker fans, you know, there's so many Royal fans now in the state, not only because of the proximity, but because of Alex Gordon. And it would have been I, – I was just like, how is this going to play out if Alex Gordon goes to San Francisco or Anaheim and, you know, where will Nebraska fans all of a sudden support that team? Or You know, it's, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense for everybody in Kansas City and for Alex and his family. Uh, I'm just glad that they, they worked this thing out, Nate. Yeah, and the big winners here could uh, could end up being Nebraska. I mean, he mentioned that he's got plans to to uh, to give back to Nebraska. He's already given a lot to to Nebraska baseball, and, and I think with this new contract, he's going to uh, be giving some more back to Nebraska. Uh, and it's and just nice to see a guy um, who's you know kind of a you know become kind of the face of the pro, uh, franchise that's going to George up, Brett basically it's going to he's going to stay there probably finish out his career there and uh, more than likely took a hometown discount uh, to, to be able to do that that's yeah, pretty good hometown discount too I mean 72 million dollars yeah. can't complain with that <laughs> and I you know just last touch on that is you know I love seeing franchises hang on to their marquee players I mean Alex Gordon is Royals baseball I mean he was uh, their star when they drafted him back in you know, 10 years ago and uh, for him to you know see out the dark days that he has and win a title and then come back for another four years I think it's just great it's great for baseball well and you think about defense and how big defense is now it's not a home run power game so what Alex does in the field saving runs throwing guys out in scoring position that is home runs. I mean, that is basically a power number now. And, and I believe he's number two in the game in that, those categories for 
basically saving runs with his ability in the field. So um, in that big ballpark, it's hard to hit home runs in Kansas City. So I think he's a perfect fit there, and um, I'm just glad. And I know with his family, he's got young kids. He's got his family in Lincoln, his wife's family in Lincoln. Um, you know, it just made so much sense for them to stay in Lincoln, um, you know, and, and not have to move because Kansas City is so nearby where they're at in Lincoln. So um, it's going to be a good thing. All right, let's move on. Uh, stock up. What do you have, Nate? I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson, the Rivals 100 uh, defensive back prospect out of California. Uh, is considering Nebraska went out and had a had a heck of a performance in the Under Armour All-American game. Came up with a big interception there. Uh, performed well all week long. And you know, I think a lot of people when Nebraska you know got in the mix with him or seriously got in the mix with him back in in you know October November. He visited for that Michigan State game. Um, you know, I think a lot of people thought, well, that's nice, but Nebraska's probably you the know, token visit. Basically. Yeah, kind of the token visit. Well, I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, following that trip, I think uh, he's, um, you know, really considering Nebraska has been high on Nebraska. And the word is coming out of the All-American game is that he was doing some recruiting, talking very well uh, or very highly about Nebraska. And actually, you know, when he was catching some flack from some other recruits as far as saying, hey, w- what's a Cornhusker anyway? Or what is there to do in Lincoln? Um, he was uh, kind of defensive and saying, hey, that was the best trip I've taken. Uh, there's a lot to do in, in Lincoln. It's more than just cornfields and everything. So, uh, you know, stock up on Lamar Jackson. I I think Nebraska is sitting in a great spot to to pull that rivals 100 type of talent out of California and away from USC, uh, UCLA, um, and some big time teams like that, uh, which would be a huge recruiting win for the Huskers. And Robin, you're going basketball today for your stock up. Yes, but unfortunately, it has nothing to do with Nebraska basketball. I'm going to go back to earlier this week on Monday night. If you were fortunate enough to turn the TV on to Kansas, Oklahoma, you saw maybe the best college basketball game we've seen in 20 years it was fantastic triple overtime kansas holds on to beat oklahoma 109 to 106 and uh, it was just fantastic it was 55 minutes of non-stop high-level basketball uh, oklahoma's buddy healed plays 54 of 55 minutes scores 46 points in a loss uh, kansas makes all the plays down the stretch and the best thing about it is that there's a chance we could see this matchup potentially three more times this season because obviously they play again in the regular season they could meet again in the big 12 tournament and then they could meet again potentially how the, however the brackets shake out in the NCAA Do they still tournament. play the big 12 in kansas city uh, I think so. I guess I kind of remember when they would play it in Dallas, and it's yes. like that was dumb. No, it needs to be. I mean, the Big Twelve tournament city. should always be in Kansas City. That was one of the greatest. Uh, that would be an awesome game to see down there. All right, let's let's shift the conversation now. Stock down. Uh, I'm going to go with Barry Alvarez's comments out of the gates. You know, it was a big story this week um, that Wisconsin lost their defensive coordinator Dave Aranda to LSU, and um, you know there was a lot of people after Aranda, but. Uh, he was making about 500000 at Wisconsin. LSU comes at him with about $1.3 million. And Barry Alvarez comes out with a statement and says, the reason we can't pay the type of money these SEC schools are paying the coordinators is we feel and support more sports teams. So LSU has uh, 16 uh, supported sports teams. I believe Wisconsin has 22 or 23 um, so there's a discrepancy, but still, I, I just don't think Badger fans are going to buy that. Uh, football pays the bills. And when you've got a premium coordinator in the league and you just let your rival league 
walk in and steal your guy so easily. I, I just think, I think it sends a bad message. Yeah, it definitely sets a bad message. And um, I mean, to think that Wisconsin doesn't have the the available funds to, to pony up some money, I think is uh, maybe a little irresponsible. If you want to, if you want to be considered, um, you know, one of the top teams, you know, one of the top leagues in the country, I think you have to keep pace with with what the SEC is doing. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't like the direction that it's going with you know assistants making so much money, you know, coordinators making so much money, even head coaches. I think it's getting a little out of control. But at the same time, uh, you have to you have to be competitive. And, and be willing to, to go that route. Robin, what's yeah. your stock down? Uh, my stock down has to be uh, the Big, Tw- Big Ten's Rose Bowl representative, Iowa. Uh, that was a game that was over essentially when the ball was kicked off uh, to open things up. It was a really disappointing uh, first play or second play from scrimmage he scored? First play, first the play. McCaffrey, and that was one of many. That uh, guy that a lot of people think should have certainly been a Heisman finalist uh, put up. And so uh, it was just a, a complete flop of what was really maybe one of the best seasons in Iowa football the last you know couple decades here. And uh, you know I, the fact that not only did they get blown out, but they had 60,000 or so fans. Just like in, Nebraska in when they went out there in 2001, same type of Rose Bowl. Yeah, and all they wanted to do was just cheer for some sort of success, and they got literally nothing the entire Lots game. of money the spent. Game, game was over in the first quarter. Uh, and then, you know, to top it all off, Stanford's band rubbed some salt in the wounds <laughs> playing the Farmers Only jingle during their halftime show and uh, making, you know, people dressed up as cows running around on the field and uh, really kind of uh, added insult to injury for Iowa. They showed, I think Ed McCaffrey got as much airtime yeah, as Kirk Ferentz did on, in that game. I mean, Ed McCaffrey and his wife, a former Stanford soccer player, um, they, I mean, and by the way, Nate, he has two other brothers, two younger uh, brothers, and then oh his oldest brother actually is a wide receiver for Duke. Uh, but yeah, two younger brothers that are still in high school. Dylan McCaffrey is a Rivals 100 a quarterback for 2017, and then he's got a, a freshman, uh, you know, brother who's a freshman in high school who's like six four, 180 pounds, who's an excellent football player and excellent basketball player. So I mean, the the amount of athleticism in that family is just mind blowing. Yeah, mom played soccer at Stanford, and obviously Ed McCaffrey is a all-time great Denver Bronco receiver. One, well, they had. I think they had a um, one of their grandfathers. I think was an Olympic sprinter, won a silver medal uh, in one of the Olympic games. So I, I mean, it's just insane the amount of athleticism there. All right. Lastly, stock down. Uh, we'll keep it brief here, but the SEC chant. I mean, it, it's just getting overboard. Um, you know, you watch these bowl games and Auburn's beating Memphis. Arkansas beats Kansas State, and you know you should be cheering for your team. Why are these fans constantly cheering the SEC chant at crap bowl games? I don't get it, Nate. Well, I mean, you beat a, a six and seven Kansas State game or Kansas State team. What are you What are you going to chant? SEC, SEC. Um, it's uh, yeah. I don't I don't understand the 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 pride or, or where that comes from. You know, especially when you beat a team that you're supposed to beat, but um, you know, not in a convincing fashion or anything. It, it wasn't like it was a dominating uh, victory uh, there. Kansas State was on like your fourth string quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad Kansas State team, and for the Arkansas fans to be chanting. SEC was uh, kind of a head scratcher, I think, but uh, I don't know where that comes from. But it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't sit very well with me. Yeah, it's just this band of brother 
you know, we have to stick together mentality with all these SEC coaches and players where our league is better. It's tougher than every league and no other league can match the grind of this league. That's why we won't play nine conference games. We're going to stick with eight. No, you won't play nine conference games because all you guys would get exposed and you'd get fired. I mean, that's what there'd be way more coaches fired if the SEC went to nine. And I, I want to see that day come because they they're the fact that they play these FCS games in November and and just Crash. other things like that, but it's a whole other show. And for the summertime, we'll we'll have a full show on that probably in July. <laughs> but when we come back, we'll close out the show with Nate Klaus, and we'll get an update on recruiting on where things are at in the dead period. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And final segment here of the Husker Online Show as uh, we close out like we do every week with Nate Klaus as we talk Husker recruiting. And it's kind of been, I mean, this dead period, Nate, it, it, it felt like, it feels like it's been like a year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and we still have more time to go. And I think a lot of fans have a hard time grasping it. You know, like Andy Kendi from Channel 7 was telling me somebody comes up to his desk at work, what's going on with recruiting? Why are things so quiet? It's the dead period. And I think people have a hard time grasping the silence when for years I think we've been used to maybe a little bit more action, but uh, we talked about this. The calendar's change, and it, it's just there's not a lot going on anywhere in recruiting. No, and, and this is the time where, uh, you know, coaches are, are focused on bowl games. They're focused on uh, being able to, to spend a little bit more time with their families. Um, of course, they've got the coaches' convention coming up, but, you know, with the, with the changing calendar and, and the kind of the extension of the dead period, um, you lose at least one week um, of the recruiting calendar uh, that you used to have. So it's just a quiet time of the year. There's still a lot going on, you know, by, behind the scenes, you know, a lot of communication via um, social media and things like that. But as far as, you know, making in-home visits or having having kids on campus it's just it's not happening so there's not a ton of news that's that's coming out of it and plus a lot of these uh you know the the high school all-star games the all-american games have become much more prevalent there's you know several of them you know there's still kind of three main ones but there's several uh secondary games that are taking place and uh so kids are, are traveling across the country and, and playing in these and uh it's just it's just kind of a quiet time overall yeah i think well, that's probably one of the reasons why this dead period was changed because I there were some years where coaches could go to the all-star games and it, it was getting pretty in the and also the U.S. Army combine mm-hmm. and it, it was getting pretty nuts I mean I remember one year I was in San Antonio I, I've been down there probably seven times for army games and uh, I see like USC's entire staff in the player lobby um, Ed Orgeron's is walking around and I mean it, it coaches were everywhere and I, I think that's probably Another reason why this dead period was extended because uh, it got a little dicey with coaches at the All-Star Games and, and contact maybe being made when you shouldn't be having contact. Yeah, some shady situations were definitely uh, taking place, especially, you know, in the, the hotel of the San Antonio, uh, you know, uh, lobbies and, and for the the games of uh, down there and you had you know I've always heard rumors about uh, like you said the whole coaching staff showing up and being down in the lobby some guys even going up to the rooms of, of some of the players and uh, you know it's just kind of a, a shady situation when that's taking place so I think it's a good idea that those coaches aren't able to, to go down there anymore oh yeah it was the a-list recruiters down there I mean these were the special ops John Blake yeah. Edward Gerona one year I had a beer with Doc Holiday down there he, and he was the famous recruiter i believe at well west virginia florida was he florida he was at florida, florida for a long time and now he's the head coach of marshall but yep. uh, i mean you had some 
you had some uh, characters. Yeah, down the there. heavy hitters would go down there and, and be making some moves. A lot of burner phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you're listening here to the Husker Highlight Show, we talk recruiting. Well, let's talk more All Star games. Uh, first Under Armour game. Bo Wilson played down there. Nebraska commit. Uh, Lamar Jackson, a guy that's potentially a Nebraska recruit um, down the road. Uh, what were your takeaways out of the Under Armour game in Orlando? We'll start with Bo Wilson. I was extremely impressed with how well he played. And you have to remember, he was a vote-in. He was a, a fan vote-in. An RSS vote-in. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, Red Sea Scrolls came out in full force and um, you know, kind of pushed him along through all these uh, the fan votes and uh, in order to get him selected. And he went down there and, and impressed. He showed that he belonged down there. And I think maybe the most impressive thing about it was that you know on the first day uh, in their offense, of line meeting the the coach said who here has uh has you know experience snapping the ball and Bo Wilson raised his hand even though that wasn't the case uh, because he knew that you know if he went out there and, and proved that he could snap that he'd be starting and would be playing an awful lot so um you know he raised his hand and he said okay you're you're our center and then after the meeting he said hey coach I really haven't snapped a whole lot but I'm willing to give it a shot and he played extremely well and I think that's a maybe a position um you know that we could all see him playing at Nebraska down the road and then you had uh, Lamar Jackson the rivals 100 safety had a uh, you know really impressive showing down there I had an interception in the game uh, really athletic interception down there and I mean he's just a, he's a special talent he, he could play n- numerous positions on the field Nebraska's recruiting him as a big boundary corner I think that uh, that he could really excel at that position especially in this defense and then another name to, to keep an eye on was Jawan Williams a big rivals 100 offense tackle out of the Washington DC area he had a, a good showing down there as well I expect to, to see him on campus taking an official visit uh, to Nebraska probably on that January 22nd weekend and you know, when you look at his offer list it, it's pretty impressive I think uh, Florida State is definitely the team to beat right now he's, he's that's the only visit he's taken but uh, you know the you're talking about the heavy hitters of college football that are going after this kid in, in Nebraska Mike Cavanaugh Brian Stewart have put the put the Husker right in the mix there and then the u.s army game you had nebraska commit john reardon down there at a des moines and then uh clearly maybe the number one target matt farniak uh was also a part of this game in san antonio yeah uh, the game was going to be taking place this weekend the practices are are in full swing right now and and both those guys have been down there uh have had struggles at times uh, but i i think that's to be expected you know a lot of times maybe too much uh emphasis or too much weight can be placed on these these offensive line defensive line one-on-ones and when you have a kid from south dakota or, or iowa to go on down there and, and facing you know the the you know top five defensive tackles defensive ends in the entire country well that's going to be an adjustment uh, for a lot of these guys I don't know especially in this part of the country where you have multi-sport athletes the guys that don't train on specifically football year in and year out and have uh, special pass drops yes yeah, specialized coaching you know where you're working on on uh, pass drops and and uh, you know setting the edge you know in pass protection as an offensive tackle I think that's something that, that uh, these guys just aren't experienced in doing, and especially when you're facing you know some some college ready 330 pound uh, defensive tackles, you know some uh, 6'6", 250 pound defensive ends that are the top guys in their positions. You just don't see those guys, um, you know, when you're playing high school football in South Dakota. I'm going to get Iowa. you fired up here, Nate. But let, let's uh, I know this gets you fired up uh, when rivals or other recruiting services will downgrade a guy 
uh, particularly like a lineman O O or D because he had maybe one or two bad reps in the one-on-one. I mean, it, that is just a hot button for Nate Klaus, isn't it, it? Well, it works, it works both ways. There's, it, it all depends on, on who sees what and, and when they see it. There's, I've seen guys that, that get, you know, bumped up in the rankings because they, they had a great rep where everyone was watching and oh, yeah, oh wow, this kid one was, rep. And, and then, and then guys have getting, have been downgraded when they have a bad rep uh, or a few bad reps, um, you know, when everyone's watching, I think you, you always, have to keep the entire body of work and and their how they project how they project you know once they get into college um they're you have to look at everything and, and keep that in mind when when you're ranking and, um you know i just i'm not a big fan of you know determining a, a kid's rank or, or what he could do in college off non-padded yeah, one-on-one drills yeah off of these one-on-one drills uh, it's just to me it's it's a little unrealistic um you know to to be able to do that yeah, it's 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 a tough thing, and you know I, I don't I'd like to hear Josh Hemhold and some of our other guys. We'll we'll have Josh on the show. We had Tom Deanhart on the phone. We now can bring in phone guests, and we'll grill Josh about that a little bit, and he'll probably get mad at us. But yeah, <laughs> no, Josh is one of the best. We we're good friends. We're just giving him a hard time, but uh, it should be interesting. So Army game Saturday, uh, Semper Fi. Um, you know, there, there, it was kind of the what could have been game. You had Terry Wilson mm-hmm. in that game. You had Jared Bubak in that game, local player Joshua Manjagaya from Papillion South, who was an FCS recruit in the game. I mean, that that was kind of a surprise, I mm-hmm. think, when you look at the stature of guys in all-star games. But um, were there any other Nebraska storylines or things that jumped out to you in Semper Fi? Well, J.D. Spielman, uh, the wide receiver commit, you know, Mr. Football out of the state of Minnesota was down there, and he performed well. He was working out of the as a slot wide receiver down in the game, only had two catches, uh, was targeted four times. But the, those other targets, you know, weren't even anywhere near uh, being catchable balls. And I, I think you saw a glimpse of, of what he could do. Um, you know, he was elusive in space and, um, you know, made the most of his opportunities. But really, I guess, wasn't featured um, maybe the way that, that he could have been or should have been um, to, to really showcase his abilities. Uh, Jojo Doman was down there. But, of course, he had that shoulder surgery in December, so was unable to, to play. Now, Amir Watts, the defensive tackle uh, recruit out of Chicago, was down there and he flashed at times and showed the the ability to play inside at D tackle made a few plays as a defensive end as well so and he'll be visiting Nebraska on January 29th but um, you know not not a ton to take away from that game I I really to be honest with you I really wasn't overly impressed with Terry Wilson either was I Um, you know he showed some elusiveness you know when he was when he pulled the ball down and and was scrambling but um, it was fairly inconsistent in the past game I I really would have liked to have been able to see a Patrick O'Brien and compete in one of these all-star games just to to kind of you know um, I guess validate my my own thinking um, my you know the, the way I look at Patrick O'Brien I think he's one of the top quarterback um, prospects in the country obviously he's ranked as such too but I, I really would have liked to have been able to see him get an opportunity and Wilson didn't have a huge senior year am I correct with that no, I, to be honest with you, I don't know of his stats uh, specifically, but I don't. From what I understand, he wasn't uh, he wasn't a dominant player by any stretch of the imagination. It just strikes me as he's someone that won't play quarterback at Oregon. I could see him moving 
um, to receiver or athlete or, or just something. I mean, if it doesn't work out, he obviously has that option. Yeah, least. he's got that option. And, um, you know, I yeah, definitely wouldn't be surprised if, if he had a position change, you know, a year or two in the system. You, you never know. But, I mean, shoot, um, outside of Marcus Mariota, uh, Oregon lately really hasn't developed any quarterbacks. They're taking been, transfers. Yeah, they're taking these these graduate transfers, um, you know, FCS transfers. So uh, they've got another one coming in from, um, from uh, what is it, Montana, I think, my Montana State, um, you know, an FCS guy coming in as a grad transfer. So uh, it's it'll be interesting to see how his career, you know, kind of turns out now that uh, – or once he flipped from Nebraska to Oregon. Well, Nate, should be a lot busier next week as uh, the dead period comes to an end, and uh, we're looking forward to all the coverage. It's going to be a fast and furious finish, I, th- I think. And it, it, I think Nebraska fans are going to be uh, pleasantly surprised by how things shake out. So it's going to be a fun ride. All right, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 